0: everyone, and here we are again with the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Pat, my co-host and co-writer. Michelle is here. Megan, our millennium, and our technician, and whatever oh, else hello. she's doing is here. <laughs> and we have a very special guest. And it's ironic because last week you heard a lot about this guy while Paul Anker was talking about him. And we, with that said, had to reach out to him. His name is Tom Cantone. He's probably one of the best entertainment directors in the business. And he's been doing it forever. The one and only Tom Cantone author, author and entertainment director.
1: My man, Tom. Well, thank you, Johnny, and everybody, Megan, and for having me on the show. You know, I'm glad Paul Anker was talking about me. You know, I... My friend Jack Nicholson said it's not polite to name drop, so I'll just <laughs> go with that. I'm not, I mean, one. It
0: was so funny how you got interwound into so many conversations, and then he said, make sure we give him your regards, and he's, um, you know, typical Paul, man. Great stories. Now, he, he,
1: he is, like you, a treasure chest of Americana. You know, between you guys, you you had a front row seat to American history. You know, while, uh, while most of us just heard about it, read about it, you were there. We didn't even have to go to the video. You were there. And Paul, you know, uh, Paul calls me on occasion just to talk. And, boy, I – and and listening to Paul and his stories about Frank and you have so many common friends with him – you know, with your background, you know, with the Rat Pack and everybody and and how Paul was there. I remember him telling that story about him being in the steam room with the Rat Pack when he was, you know, like a teenage idol and just like a fly on the wall while, you know, things were happening. He didn't go into detail. But and by the way, your book, I never read a book faster in my life. I could not put it down. It was. Just incredible! I couldn't wait for the next page. It, it not much for the stories. The stories were incredible. It's how you wrote it. Well, it's you, Pat you kept writing and Pat. Pats, Pat's, you Pat's and,
0: Pat wrote it, man.
1: Oh, oh. Well, both of you, 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 you kept teasing, which was brilliant. I actually, in my rewrite of my little book, I actually uh, took that uh, note and used it because I kept saying more on that later in the book, so it teased me and the reader to know that, oh, there's going to be more on that, so I did that as a little bit of a trick, so, you know, you taught me some some really cool things, but the way it was written, you know, and how you wrote it, it was was, um, not offensive, it was informative, it was uh, creative, the images that I had in my mind with every sentence while I was reading it uh, was my own movie. You know, and how it was. I was with you. That's how well written it was. I was with you when you were with Marilyn. I, I wish I would have been.
2: Johnny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the next book you're gonna Pat. Pat and I are right right now are collaborating on Frank, the Mob, and me. And it's we're, we're going back into mob history. And bringing you right out of the the neighborhood of Hoboken, with his mother and father, we, and uh, some of the stories are insane already. But well,
1: it's important to keep that era alive. You know. It's it's when there were really you know American heroes, not today where you know everybody's got a a promotional you know angle or blame or I mean that was the real deal back then you know there wasn't the, we didn't have social media you know there wasn't the the fake news it was real and you know Pat you did a great job with it it just I mean I recommended it to so many people and you were kind enough to send a couple of books and it was just you know just so super well done I mean and now they're going to make in, it into a series and, and they should you know but the, the, the one that blew me away the most was the time that you went to Chicago to deliver a note, and you bumped into somebody, and didn't think much of it when you only to realize it was Leo Harvey Oswald. I mean, I mean that that, that stuff is just incredible, just incredible. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, as a kid, you know, when 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 Kennedy, my wife just asked me this yesterday. You know, how old was I? What was it like when Kennedy was assassinated? And I told her, I said, everyone was. I was in the junior high school. Everybody was crying. Teachers were crying. It was um, nobody. You know, there, there wasn't CNN and twenty-four-seven news. You know, so we were catching it. You know, in bulletins and things like that. It was. It was the first time Camelot, you know, was dead. And you know, we were all so high on on the Kennedys and feeling young and good and the kids running on the the lawn of the White House. I mean, there was nothing wrong with the U.S. Everything was right about America. You know, today everything's wrong. You know, back then everything was right. And then, you know, we needed a a, a jolt and a bump from that terrible tragedy. And in comes the Beatles. And, you know, the Beatles just awakened my generation, this great feeling again of being excited about music and these four guys from Liverpool. What the heck is that? Cause you know, we were just in the Motown and the Beach Boys and, and all of a sudden that happened on the Ed Sullivan show when again, no social media, no advantages of, of YouTube, nothing. It was just an explosion the next day. And I remember all the guys combed their hair down. Everybody wants to be a Beatle. And all these groups that came later, like the Eagles and every major rocker, you know, Bruce Springsteen, all of them. Guess what they wanted to be? They wanted to be them. And, you know, so, you know, it was it just it just was really remarkable how everything worked out. And and then The Godfather is my favorite movie of all time. So I'm watching the movie. One and two. Three didn't exist, but you're talking me into maybe they're doing another three. I don't know.
3: But, <laughs> and,
1: and and then I see, you know, and and then I had the pleasure to, to book you to make your debut, your singing debut. And I was, you know, in Atlantic City, and, and then we became friends ever since, and here we are. Yeah, it's been great. And talking
0: about your, let's talk about your career, because most people don't know the people behind the scenes. I mean, you, you made American history last week again in a whole different division, because as you always do with lemons, you make it lemonade. And during this pandemic and all your major showrooms are closed down, I think you control eight or 10 by now throughout the United States. And you went to boxing and did a, the biggest pay-per-view weekend two weeks ago, and nobody even knew it. But you did that. I mean, you I've seen you so many times work miracles when, you know, you just have a mind for producing. And uh, would you share that with our audience? Because they didn't even know about it.
1: So back in March, uh, when we closed... the the entire world down and here I am I'm sitting in my office in March we've got eight million square feet of darkness I think I'm in the twilight zone Rod Sterling's gonna in the corner talking about you know this this strange place I'm in and I it was numb I was numb you know this vibrant venue listed amongst the best in the world was dark my team gone everyone gone Furloughed or just not at work, and the place was totally empty. First time ever we've ever closed the industry, you know, uh, and the entire gaming industry, and everybody was 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 in a pause pattern, paralyzed by by this. I don't call it a pan- pandemic. It, it's it's a very dangerous virus. So, but unknown. So I sat in my office. And I said, you know, for weeks and weeks, I came to work. I didn't stay home. I came to work because I needed to to keep normal. I needed to keep focused. And I needed to have a place to go. And everyone was, quote, locked down. So it was safe where I was going because there was nobody there. And so one day I just sat in my office and I said, this whole thing started because I was thinking about how I can get my crew back, you know, because I love these guys. They're like family to me. We are family. And... I thought, well, maybe if I did a, an event without fans in the seats and just turned the arena into a, you know, a broadcast center, a production studio in a bubble, because you know I, I didn't know what later was to happen with the NBA and and sports and all that, creating these bubbles. So and the bubble didn't exist, but I, the word. So I just said. So I reached out to my friends at Viacom and I was very close to a couple of the presidents there that run sports. And so I made a call thinking, no way, you know, it would even matter, but it was just an idea. And sure enough, there was interest and it went, it took months and many, many disappointments and many, many problems because we didn't have a playbook. There was no protocol playbook. Mohegan Sun did a great job of creating their own health and safety protocols uh, that for the state of Connecticut, I think, was a model. And Viacom had their own very strict protocols. And so as we progress with this idea to do Bellator MMA, Showtime also wanted to get on the, on the, the bandwagon because that's a Viacom uh, product as well. And they wanted in on it. So, you know, I started to get thinking that this is, this could happen, that we would be, you know, our venue would be broadcast around the nation, around the world, um, you know. And so here, here we are with a situation and it started to grow. And at the last minute, there were some very, very big hiccups that the, the Viacom corporate team, you know, uh, was concerned about because this COVID thing is, is dangerous. I mean, it, all you need is to, is to be wrong once and then make one mistake and, you know, you're, you're done. So it was between me, Las Vegas and California and, you know, Vegas threw everything at it to keep them there, to have them be, you know, do their programming out of there in, in a bubble in a broadcast center and, and because it's CBS, they had some pressure to do it out there at the CBS studio lots. And here's where relationships matter, guys. Uh, because of my relationship with, with um, Bellator and Showtime, they said, they're coming to me. And, you know, we, we were able to overcome a last-minute major problem with the testing of everybody, And because of, of a good relationship with mine on the medical front here, uh, they parted the sea for me to make it happen. I mean, we're talking, you know, a bunch of people being tested immediately and quarantined immediately. And, you know, pulling this thing off from a production side was a herculean effort. You know, it's live television. So to make a long story short, it worked. So the night of July uh, 24th was our first televised event. And I'm standing in the arena in the back. My crew is now back, most of them. Uh, Tons of, uh, lots of uh, Viacom executives flew flew in for this. Um, The sports world was paying attention. And all the bells and whistles and the rings there. And the way they had it designed was you didn't know... You couldn't see empty seats. It was all visually wonderfully designed. And when they counted down to go live, and they went live 10, 9, 8, and they got live from Mohegan Sun Arena, I filled up and, and, and immediately thought of when I was sitting alone in my office in total darkness and had this brain idea and here it was giving birth. It was like probably, you know, in Nassau, you know, at the Kennedy Center when the spaceship, they don't know if it's going to, the rocket's going to make it, you know, and then it, it lifts off. And when they lift it off and they said live from Mohegan Sun Arena, everyone was high-fiving and hugging. And and because it was a time when we were the only venue in America open doing any, producing any live event. So it was really quite a happy ending to you know a creative idea that that got some legs and interest because of relationships and it worked and and we've now exceeded Billy Joel's 10 show run in the residency run and now this week this Thursday will be the 11th Viacom residency sporting event Uh, and you're right the pay-per-view last two weeks ago uh, was a worldwide broadcast Uh, five championship title fights in one night, that would have been at Madison Square Garden or T-Mobile in Vegas
4: in normal times.
1: So, and, you know, it sort of fit us into the boxing historic Hall of Fame because we actually hosted at one time the Fight of the Century with Ward Gotti. And so, you know, you put those two together, uh, you know, the sports and entertainment world took notice. So it was a great story. No,
0: it's amazing, you know, because I've known you for, what, 35 years, 40 years now. And some of the things you come up with, it's amazing. And I mean, I I know and appreciate you, but it's the common folk don't know about the Tom, Cantone. They go see their acts in all your properties, but you're the guy that puts it together and produces it. And you've been a good friend to me because as you mentioned earlier, slightly mentioned, you made me a headliner when I was an opening act for Don Rickles many years ago at Resorts. And I remember that conversation on that Monday morning. I went over to see you, and, you know, we just hit it off, and you offered me, and Pat, and Megan, and our audience, you understand, I was, I always wanted to be a singer. I knew I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but, He made me and built me in a way, even I can remember, because I I asked you, because Trump still owned the Plaza Hotel, I said, well, I'm going to be coming in, I want to stay at the Plaza, and I'm going to take the helicopter down, but you know, I want four billboards on the highway going down. He gave me all this stuff. I thought the guy was going to tell me, you know what, see you later, and hang up on me. (laughs) He gave me everything I wanted. It was such an event, though. And, Tom, I, 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 I got to thank I was you, man. Proud
1: to, I, was proud to, I was proud to do it. I, I, I was. I, I like things that have never been done before. And, you know, this has never been done before. And it didn't hurt that I might be obviously, you know, a Godfather fan of so many. I always liked the marketing angle of that. And, you know, and I did, we did a lot of high rollers and people loved you. Oh my and, god. You know, it was an it, it was an event and you had, of course your class act and you know, you know how to treat people, you know how to be, you know, there's nothing that you don't know. And it, it's not an embarrassment ever. I mean, I've had a great stories and it's in my book where you know, I've had star people that went on the big stars and you know, it didn't go so well, you know, cuz I'd like to to book people right on the edge of breaking into a big name I, i've been lucky enough over my career to to time the acts when they're going to be the next big thing well i had them right at the cusp of you know breaking out and uh you know so i like that edginess i never wanted to do what vegas did when i went to atlantic city i was a walk-on I, mean, I didn't know anybody they recruited me from hershey and i and i just decided you know i looked at the landscape and i said hmm you know, Atlantic City is nothing but a clone of Vegas, you know, same old names, same old tired production shows and, you know, the, the, the fed the girls, you know, and all that, the feathers. And I wanted to be contemporary. I wanted to to bring in what, you know, the, what pop culture was marketing. And and I, I thought if I could do that, my marketing was done for me because if I had, you know, a big time pop culture name in there with hits, hits and, and, you know, was really a hip artist, that it would bring in a new generation of people, introducing them to, you know, the casino world, and I got criticized big time uh, for doing that, because they, everybody was, no one was really uh, thinking that was the right thing to do, uh, because I was trying to reinvent the wheel, and you just can't do that. But fortunately for me, the execs at the Sands in Atlantic City gave me the the ability to do that, and I credit them because you know had they been the same old guard, you know, and they would have said, yeah, you got to stick with Stephen Eadey, and and no disrespect to them, they were great. But I, you, you can't bring in new blood, you can't try out anything, you can't risk failure to be success. You know, we caught everyone off guard, so our little joint called the sands destroyed the town and then all of a sudden you know a year later the las vegas sun writes this big editorial saying what the hell happened i mean atlantic city's a new entertainment capital and this new kid on the block you know stole the show and now of course vegas to this day you know they changed up their programming and we broke down a lot of walls back then. The minute I, I brought in Eddie Murphy, who was the biggest star in the country, the biggest star in the country, Beverly Hills Cop and hottest t- cover of magazines, and Time Magazine and Saturday Night Live, and impossible to get in a, f- to do a casino showroom where the reputation was always old people with, with blue hair riding a bus. And, and to convince him America's hippest name, to play that venue was mission impossible. But I spent two weekends in a row and more time than that with him, getting to know him and his entourage and his family because they were looking to, to, to go on tour. And my, my, here we go. Relationships matter, you know, buddy Mora and the guys that, that managed him um, were friends of mine and uh, Eddie Mike Cohn at ICM and we all got together, and, and because of what I was doing at the Sands, not doing the Vegas stuff, they actually thought that you know it would be a really good fit. But still, he had to decide. So, you know, Eddie Murphy's calling me at, at two in the morning. We're coming down, and I'm, you know, I'm 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 ready. Whatever whatever you need, hotel suites, whatever you need, and they would arrive at. God knows what hour of the night. And we we struck a, a friendship and we struck the deal. And I think that alone was a shot heard around the world in our business because everyone was just like, How did they get Eddie Murphy? Are you kidding? And that broke the door down. Robin Williams followed, Billy Crystal and the Ronstadt share. I mean it was for that generation at the time, it was a floodgate. And so our success really was built on the entertainment product that that we decided to do. And I got lucky, you know, to try it out. I I got lucky to have the support and we created these, these friendships over the years that for the most part are still there, you know? So, you know, it was, it was nice to see that it worked out, you know, we had some flops along the way. Um, But for the most part, people were talking about us again, no social media, there wasn't 24-7 news. I didn't have that advantage. But we had great word of mouth. I, I remember booking Sheila E., you know, and within I, the first night, it you know, it wasn't not sold out. And the next night, you couldn't get in. And then I decided that, you know, there was no place to dance in Atlantic City. So I turned the Copa room into a Copa club at midnight. And I had Miami Sound Machine making their debut. They had number one song in the country, that kicked off a whole club nightlife that Atlantic City didn't have, you know, so if you provide something, I basically have always been more of a marketing guy than an entertainment guy, because I was the marketing head at three major casinos, and I I always use entertainment as a differentiator, you know, that I didn't care how big or small you were, you can win, you can win the night, depending upon who you have in the showroom, so. You know, so we were able to do some really fun stuff that that all worked out, you know, and it didn't have to be just entertainment, because when the NFL had a had that big strike, I got the Giants and the Jets to do a game on top of uh, the Trump Castle rooftop. And that made national news And our high. It was broadcast on ESPN radio. So, you know, it all of a sudden, you know, you, you just start thinking creatively and things happen.
0: So like you. Well, you helped me so many, as as you were talking, I was thinking of the Sands Hotel, because then Frank came in, and he was doing only one show a night, and he said to me, he called me up, he said, I'm going into the Sands Hotel, it was Columbus Day weekend, I don't even remember what year, and he said, uh, I just booked you at the Claridge, you're gonna do two shows a night, and I want you to hire my friend Morty Storm. I said, whatever you wanna do, Frank. So, at the end of his show, At the Sands, he'd say, come on, let's go over and see my friend at the Claridge Hotel, Johnny Russo. But all these little footsteps and and pieces of the puzzle, you were behind it directly and indirectly. Because even bringing me in as a headliner. And I have to say, when I wrote my show from my book, my one-man show, I said said to you, you I'll book it. And March 7th, most of the world and our audience don't know it. I was one of the last acts on March 7th to do my show, a packed house, staining ovations, never did the show before. And again, it was something you had the nerve enough to book. I'm reaping a harvest from it again. I mean, it just seems since 95, Tom Cantone, has been a part of me. And Paul Anka had, had given you the same accolades. Is there's nobody like you. Now, that's a veteran since 15 years of age in the business as a composer, songwriter. And it, it, to me, that's one of the reasons I really wanted you on the show because, you know, people are successful in what they do, but they need the time. Tom Cantones and the people who are really creating the jobs and pulling the p- puppet strings. And you've done it for me so many times. And I just wanted to thank you publicly, first of all. And you're so creative. It's amazing. And it c- keeps on going. I mean, two weeks ago, my friends are calling me. In fact, I called you because one of the guys who owned the fighters there, I said, well, say hello to me." He said, you can't. i got to meet this guy. And I don't know if you ever met Loopy, uh, Valencia, he, he had one of the top champs there, but uh, Showtime was the biggest audience ever, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely. You but, not- you know, there's a lot of th- 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 things that don't happen on your own, though, Gianni. I mean, you're, you're good at all the relationships that you had. You know, I I, I was fortunate with relationships along the way that, it, and, and honestly, even the bad ones made you better. I always, I always thought that. I mean, there were some bad people, you know, that you run into in life, and who don't think like you, and you know, don't have your best interests at heart. In fact, like to see you not make it.
2: Oh and,
1: yeah. Oh, the jealous And people. those are the. Yes. Yes, there's a in our business is a lot of that, especially oh my God, the casino yeah. executives. You know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many casino presidents I've been through and. You know, and it's funny because when I when I first joined the, uh, the the casino industry, you know, I didn't even want to be part of it. I uh, they re- I got a, a, a call from a headhunter to interview at the Sands in Atlantic City, and I I said, you know, well, you know, I've never even been in a casino, let alone. But I gone down to the shore, you know, they were there, and I just never never went in, never interested. So I had this interview set up with. Bill Widener, the president of the Sands at the time, and uh, you know, I was the last man that they were talking to, and he, he showed me all this stack of inter- uh, resumes. They, they interviewed in the Wall Street Journal all over the place. I didn't know that. Wow. So he's telling me this, right? So, And what was to be like, you know, I just wanted to say hello to a casino president. I've, I thought it would be good to even just know one, and you know, to Introduce myself to him, not thinking anything would come of it, on my way down to the to the shore. So I was I really wasn't even going out of my way. I was going down to the shore, and we we made it so I could stop in, and what was to be maybe you know a quick hello and who are you type of thing, spent hours talking to him and he offered me a job on the spot, and oh, I wow. thought, well you know. Uh, I, I'll probably am, I'll do it for like three years, you know. And here I am, you know, what, <laughs> 83 to now. <laughs> wow. And my point is that along the way, I've seen a lot of my friends come and go. You know, some not on their own. The casino world is very difficult. You know, it's like the NFL. It's like the big leagues. You, you know, you don't perform, you're out. Or for whatever reason. You know, you're not going to be part of the team. They don't even have to give you one. And, you know, for me to be accepted into that world all these years, um, you know, was a privilege for me with tons of gratitude to people that helped me along the way. You know, so I, I, I just, I didn't know anybody. And now I know everyone. <laughs> so and everybody knows the, you. I mean, and not- I And the funny thing is, This is how life is. I used to be the youngest guy in the meeting and or there. Now I'm probably the oldest guys. And it just makes me laugh because my the people on my staff now are my kids' age, you know, or younger. And but my role has changed because now I feel more responsible to do more teaching about core values and about, you know, right and wrong and teaching without You know, teaching, you know, you're not going to sit down and say, well, do it this way. Do By by example, you know, showing that trust matters and loyalty matters and relationships matter and um, helping people along the way. And if you're not a fit, you don't do the team justice by keeping that person on. We make a lot of mistakes that way, you know, and I've had to let, you know, really good people go over the years because the you know, just for some reason, what didn't mesh with the team. So you got to know when to make those hard decisions. And, you know, nine times out of 10, they thank you. Cause they're not as happy. They're not, they're miserable. And I just didn't want that to bleed into the team, but I've got the best team in America. I mean, they're family to me. You should see the emails and the things that I get. Um, You know, I sat down during this and I'm not, suggesting that I'm any better or doing anything that deserves anything. This is just an example, but I felt so connected to my crew and my team and my staff. There's probably about 400 and some in just in Connecticut, but I got properties, you know, across the country. And for two weeks during the shutdown, we were shut down for months, but I decided to write every single one of them a personal note. And when they got it, you know they were beyond grateful to get to make sure you know, that they couldn't believe that somebody took the time to do that. And that's part of leadership. You know, I've heard people say they you know they haven't yet to hear from their boss. Well, you know, for me, I felt an obligation to see how everybody was doing and to let them know that I'm working every day to get them back. And that's how the Viacom residency really started. To go back to the beginning,
0: well, wow. but could, could you let our audience know the properties that you're running?
1: Yeah, we we've got. You actually were the, the probably one of the last performers there in Canada in Niagara Falls. We have two properties there, um, and right by the falls, which is beautiful. Uh, in down south in Louisiana, we've got uh, Paragon. Out in the Pacific Northwest, we've got Alani. Uh, in Pennsylvania, in the Poconos, we've got the Mohegan Sun Pocono. Uh, Atlantic City, we manage resorts. And soon, we just got word that we are the front runner in Greece to build a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar complex there. We are. We have broke ground in South Korea for a four-billion-plus resort that's going to have a fifteen-thousand-seat arena. Uh, we joined partners with, uh, with um, Virgin in Las Vegas, uh, so we're going to be opening our first property in Vegas, probably sometime um, uh, whenever the, the timetable is set. So we're, we're sort of all over the place right now, and of course the mothership is Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. So, you know, it's quite a story, Mohegan Gaming and Entertainment, it's, it's called MGE, has become really overnight a uh, a global entertainment company. It's
0: pretty cool. Well, I mean, just some of the acts that I know you've booked, and the real—I mean, there's—I don't think there's one performer that is worth anything that you haven't had working for you. So, for me, selfishly, I'm just happy to be part of your roster, and more so a friend for all these years. So, you
1: know. Well, yes, friends first, and you know, and. We all, everything's based on that. I, there's an FFL club I have, the Friends for Life Club. You're part of it. You're, you're a longstanding member. And proud. not too many people are in that, you know, so to qualify, you know, it's not like
2: joining the Friars. No, yeah. no thank
0: that, that's a great comparison. <laughs> <laughs> at the
2: start of the show that you have a book? Pardon me? You mentioned at the start of the show that you have a book?
1: Yes, it's called Book'em,
2: and uh, I
1: just went to paperback, uh, but Gianni was at my book signing in in 2013 at the Friars Club, and uh, yeah, I decided to, you know, (laughs) I really didn't write it to sell anything, because I'm really, I'm not Gianni Russo or anybody famous, so I just wrote it to have a, really, a, a record for my family and my kids to know what I was up to all these years. But I couldn't have been able to write it if I didn't keep every I kept so much stuff that I kept going back to my library of it, my portfolio of everything and I said, Oh my god, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I narrowed it down to a bunch of stories and um, it's called Bookem and from the man who revolutionized casino entertainment and I didn't create that. That the media created that. So I decided to use that as a as a hook. Because back then we did revolutionize casino entertainment. It was totally different when we were doing things. So, and yeah, so, you know, I kiddingly say it sold out because I only printed 20. But, <laughs> 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 but nevertheless, uh, it's, my friends uh, wanted me to be the keynote speaker in Atlantic City because, uh, on an event. And they wanted my book to give everybody. I said, well, I don't have any more. Because of the Internet, what I did have did sell, did sell out. So, uh, you know, the Internet has a, f- funny way of fi- people have a funny way of finding things. So I t- had a little spurt. And then they said, well, we'll, we'll reprint it. We'll, we'll buy 500. And, you know, if you can reprint it. I said, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to update it. So I updated the past six, seven years of great stuff. You know, it's happened since then, and the book is way better now, for me, anyway, uh, uh, than, than the first one. So it is in paperback, and when we do the event uh, this coming summer, uh, uh, everyone will get a copy of it.
0: Yeah, I think I'm a part of that event, if I remember right.
1: Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are, because you you offered a, the, the dinner— for for I forget how many couples at your place, which right, w- right away what was the top was the top um, money maker.
0: No, it's been good. You've been yeah. good to me. I and... just want
1: I just want I just want some boiled eggs and toast, whatever you
0: got. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know it's great for us because there's so many stories, but you know without people like yourself. You've given me stages where I've never would have been on. And you gave me a position in life to move forward because what, what we created together, like you're saying that the, the Trump Marina that night with the guest list alone, it's about to drop. That's what a lot of, you gotta do business. Jack Benny told me years ago, remember show business, the bigger word is show. I mean, the bigger word is business, not show. And so I always made sure that I invited players because I knew that's what you needed because that's what your job is, making people happy, making the casino money. And uh, thank God I was able to do it. And thank God you gave me the opportunities and still giving them to me. It's amazing.
1: Well, that's, that's real important. Show business. There's the show part, which is important, and the business part. And for a casino, it's way different than a standalone venue that has to just, they they just judge you by ticket sales. With us, it's a whole different story. Actually, I could have ticket sales that don't meet the guarantee, but the gaming was so strong that it exceeded it. So I had the advantage there at my venues where, you know, I can do some cool things. And, you know, another cool night for me was Al Pacino. You know, I mean, uh, because of you know, people knew our style. Uh, I got first dibs on Al's doing a one-man show, like you. Right. And and years ago, I mean, not too long ago, but so the guy that's handling him is a friend of mine. He called me, and I said, well, "What does Al do?" He goes, "Well, he just talks about the the movies with the, like like the the uh, the studio." thing you know the, the the thing on tv you know you sit down you you, the, oh, you yeah. talk about, I, yeah i've you, seen that show yeah. yeah yeah and film clips and whatnot in q a so i decided to do it and um first of all personally i wanted to meet al i, I you you have you had the luxury of being his friend i mean for me i'm a kid you know that's looking at someone like him I'm, you know, it'd be me, like me meeting the Beatles. I, you know, it's it's that important. So, and then and then I did it, and we set it up. It was it was a private, invite-only show, and Al was great. He was great. Talked about the Godfather and you know all the movies that he's done, Scarface and everything. And but he was humble. He was nice, and he he wasn't arrogant or anything. Took every question. Took pictures. Did everything we asked him to do. And I got like five minutes with him. And, you know, and you can tell a lot right away by somebody's demeanor, whether they, you know, help, whether, what their DNA is like, you know, immediately I can. And he couldn't have been more congenial to me. And um, so the, the joke is he's on stage, you know, doing this thing, the actor's studio, that's us.
0: Yeah, the and actor's studio. Yeah.
1: So he, he was, I'm standing to the, to the side of the stage and he goes, does anybody get me some water, you know? So I jump like an errand boy and I got my hands on some water and I brought it out to him while he was on stage on his thing. And I said, I said something like, and he thanked me and I said, Hey, I can, I, I I've now been on stage without Pacino <laughs> and, and he, he laughed and he repeated that, <laughs> you know, did you hear what he just said? You know, yeah. uh, but it's those kinds of things pinch me, but Ringo, was a pinch me moment you know i mean uh, i got a chance to spend quality time with him i wanted to and i asked the manager as a favor i said i'm not in the meet and greets and getting pictures now and uh, you know when i started out yeah but not now and i said i just went just to say hello i don't want to be in the same with a, a lot of other people you know just me so his name's dave hart the manager he said a good guy he said I absolutely get it I'll arrange it I knock knock on the Ringo's door backstage because he had his all-star band. They were going to play that night in the arena. And he opens the door and he goes, Tom, Tom, come on in. And he bows to me with his hands in like a prayer thing. And I'm like, wow. You know, I thought I was going to get, yeah, hey, how you doing? Come on in. You know, quick obligatory kind of meet and greet. And... He asked me to sit down. We we and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to take his time up, and I, I didn't want to ask him the millionth Beatles question. What's your favorite Beatles? You know, so I went in unprepared. Whatever, I, whatever the conversation went, that's where I went. So I had a picture of my little girl at the time sitting on the, my drum set, which happens to be the Ludwig drum set replica that the Beatles had that I my father bought for me when they, you know, when it came out. So it's been part of my music room forever. So I showed him the picture. I said, hey, this is my little girl. I said, you know, uh, she's on your drum set. And he goes, oh, she's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And I said, and that's that's when it dawned on me. I said, by the way, Ringo, I said, how did you come to buy that set? I said, because back then they were all Slingerlands and they were sparkly. That Blue Oyster Pearl didn't exist. He goes, it's black oyster pearl. And I said, Oh, okay. Black oyster pearl, because it was black in there too, but I always thought it was blue. And he goes, uh, it was the only one in the window. It could have been pink, I would have bought it. <laughs> and I went, So it was so it was an accident, completely. He said, and no one's ever asked me that. <laughs> so I said, Oh man, I scored on all the fronts because I he never got tired, you know, you get tired of asking answering the same beetle questions, but that one was different. So then he goes, he goes, hold on, I have something for your little girl. So he goes and brings me this this gingerbread star cookie, because Ringo Star somebody had made for him. So he says, here, give this to your little girl. Now make sure you give it to her. You eat it. Don't keep it. I said, absolutely. I'm going to give it to her when I get home. I had that thing shellacked and framed that's still hanging in my music. room.
2: Right now. Sure, why not?
0: <laughs> No, like you say, those kind of moments and that kind of memorabilia—that's priceless, priceless.
1: And he gave me his—he gave me his drumsticks. Then you fast forward, and now I've got I booked Queen, and the drummer for Queen is Zach Starkey, uh, Ringo's son. Well, he's—he's he's oh, incredible I didn't know that as a drummer. Yeah, he's incredible. He's way better than Ringo, way, but 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 you know, in a different way. So I look at—I always look at the drum sets on these major uh, rock shows because it's incredible what they bring in.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And yeah, so I counted the drums. There's 16 of them, about 20 cymbals. So now I'm backstage and I'm talking to Zach, you know, and I and I said, you know, I, I met your father. I said he's great, and blah blah blah. He's a real nice guy. He, you know, otherwise I wouldn't be talking to him. He's a real nice guy. And then I had to say it. <laughs> I don't know why I did. And I said, oh, by the way, I felt comfortable enough because we were hitting it off. I said, your father only needed four drums. You you have 16 out there. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, I know. He played way better than me. And I said, well, you know, it's always been my thing where, you know, what do you do with all those drums as a drummer? You know, if you're really good, you only need four, like Gene Krupa and and Buddy Rich and those guys. And, you know. But boy, could he, he used every single one of them. Phenomenal drummer, phenomenal, right. phenomenal you know. Well, and then stories like Roseanne.
0: I gotta, we gotta cut you off because we have a producer that gives us a high sign. But thank hey, you so much. Hey, I can so talk much.
1: forever with you, Danny.
0: No, please, When we'll have you back on. We appreciate you coming on, number one, because I know all that's going on in your world right now. And I'm very happy that I'm still a part of it. And I, again, thank you for your friendship, and uh,
1: we'll talk again. Thank you,
3: Tom. Uh, thank you, well, Tom. Thank you, for
1: ha- thank you guys for having me on. You're, you're not only part of the Mohegan family, but part of my family. So enjoy every minute, guys. All right. Thank you so much. It. Thank you,
3: thank bye. you. take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Let's go to the mailbag.
3: All right, let's do it. First question I have is from Karen. Karen says, hi, I love the podcast. Question about The Godfather. I noticed that Fredo was absent from Don Vito's funeral. From what I have read, the actor who played Fredo was on the set that day, though. Do you know why he was excluded? Also, Gianni, can you talk a bit about working with the amazing actor that played Fredo? Cheers from the UK.
0: No, I, I mean, John Casales was a brilliant actor. And uh, I'm so naive, I didn't know he was missing from Don Vito's funeral. <laughs> I know I was there. I was sitting right behind Pacino because that's when he was watching the move with Tessio and Barzini. And that's why he he knew his betrayer was going to ask him to meet with Barzini. So, I mean, I was conscious of what was going on in the dialogue, not if all the brothers were seated. I know Sonny was gone, thank God.
2: (laughs) Hadn't he... Michael previously told Fredo that uh, he doesn't want any interaction with him?
0: I don't know that story wise. Yeah. Oh, because no. the, the Godfather died in Godfather 1.
2: Yeah.
0: And most of that with Fredo's outbreak was in 2. Yeah, yeah. So.
2: Hey, that's a good question.
0: A good question.
3: Yeah. All right, next one is from Paul. Paul says Hey, Gianni, I enjoyed watching your Vlad TV interview. In the interview, you state that Jimmy Hoffa was killed through a car crusher. However, Michael Franzese hinted that his body was dumped in the ocean. Or is there truth in both stories? In that case, I guess the actual crushed car was dumped in the ocean also.
0: Very diplomatic. Very diplomatic. But um, everybody has their own version. (laughs) That's my story, and I'm sticking to it for a lot of reasons. All right. I, I, I hear
2: he owns a Subway franchise. What's that? Who? Uh, what's his face? I got killed. Oh, Hoffa? Hoffa.
3: <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, he's still around. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> All right, next one is from Antonia. Antonia says, Gianni, I love your voice. It's very commanding, and you have every listener's attention. I can't switch it off night and day. You have inspired me to revisit my family history. My great-grandfather was murdered in Chicago and family rumors say it was done by the Mafia. The World Wide Web has provided versions of platforms to find family information, and I have found an article describing briefly what happened. I'm interested to connect with Patrick for advice on how I can find more information. A question, what are your thoughts on the latest Vatican situation? Antonia from Sydney, Australia.
0: Well, I, I mean, since I'm not in the business and not over there anymore, I, I really am not into this Pope Benedict. I mean, he just doesn't rub me. He's not that warm, fuzzy guy. And uh, not my last pope that I'll always remember as the pope is John Paul II. So I really don't have a comment on this pope
2: at all. Okay, and as far as uh, looking back in your family history, you to find out about your uh, grandfather or whoever it was that got killed, uh, the best thing to do first is to get all your dates straight. Uh, if you don't know when he was born, if, if he has uh, his uh, date of birth, where he was born, if you have his Social Security number, if in fact he had one, it's good to have. Uh, confirm everything with Ancestry.com. I'll give you a little more information then you'll know his date of death. And if you know his place of death, the periodicals that were uh, uh, doing business at that time, and in fact, the ones that are in business anymore, somebody has copies on, and the old way was to put it on microfiche, they called it. But there's, there's always a record of what was printed as far as uh, newspapers go. You just have to know how to dig. And the Internet... Is a perfect
3: place to start. All right. There you go. Next is from Gina. Gina says, you all have been doing this sh- incredible show for some time now. What would each of you say has been your favorite show to do thus far?
0: Wow. That's a tough question.
2: We have to think back over 92 shows. Yeah. I mean,
0: I know. you know, I, I don't think it's fair for us, the three of us, to have to pick and choose that because... Most of our guests, in their own way, was very important to us. Different facets of the stone, different relationships in life, careers, their experiences, our experiences with them. So the, I, I don't think that's a fair question because we treasure all our guests and we treasure the people coming and share their stories that we share with you. That's like asking us who do we think is our best fan out there and you wouldn't want me not to pick you, so we're not going to get social on this.
2: <laughs> and also, uh, on those shows where we didn't have guests, uh, we did a lot of mob history, and uh, uh, some of them, we, well, we, we enjoy all of them. We required some research and some work. Uh, but Johnny's right. You can't, it, it's like uh, picking uh, who's your favorite kid. You know, it's kind of difficult. Besides, after 92 shows, the ones that are first and foremost... The last fifteen or so, and right? Have been sort of are in in, in you know in a, in a foggy area, so they're all good. Yeah,
3: I think those are good answers. Love them all. That's it. Absolutely. That, that, well,
0: I know you feel that way too, Mango. You you're a very oh absolutely person. It's. Uh, I mean,
3: I'm always I'm always learning things every time. So every every time we record one, it's my new favorite.
0: Right. Perfect.
3: All right. Next is from Rob. Rob says, I followed your interviews and I'm reading your book. It's very interesting, so much happening. May I bring up an idea? I don't know how you feel about it, but Michael Franzese is starting a one-on-one YouTube interview program. I was thinking it would be so neat to hear both of you talk about New York and the pasta, kind of like the Patrick but David interviews. I had the idea, idea for Franzese to go on Mike Tyson's show, and that went well. Hope to try your food brand sometimes.
0: Thank you so much for your idea. We'll think about it.
2: You know, we're, we're always open to invitations. I mean, we uh, as of late, we've been invited to quite a few things that we've gone. So we have to wait for an invitation and uh, we'll see what happens from there. Right.
3: Absolutely. All right. Next is from Paul. Paul says, Hi, Mr. Russo. My name is Paul, and I manage John Amos. John would love to be on your podcast. He released a book called A World Without Color, and also he has Coming to America 2 coming out on December 18th. He's also a huge Godfather fan. Please let me know what you think. God bless. I like You it. know John Amos? Yeah.
0: Yeah, if you want that, book him. Thank Absolutely. you, sir. We will book him.
3: Absolutely. All right. John Amos coming on soon.
0: See if he's ready next week.
3: <laughs> Perfect. All right. Next is from Zellor. Zellor says, excellent show. I tell everyone about it. Can you talk about the kid Chris Passarelli on a show? Thanks.
0: I, you know, I like Chris. I mean, he, he indirectly, uh, he destroyed one of my families, not crime families, but one of my families, because I had to leave the country for a while, because when he turned state's evidence against a lot of people, I was brought in, or they wanted to bring me in, and I was doomed either way. If I came in and spoke about who wanted me to talk about, I was dead. And if I didn't talk about him, as uh, Pat can testify, in a grand jury, they can hold you for 180 days in contempt, take you out and ask you the same question. And I wasn't about to do that. So I just left the country for a while. Almost two years, to be exact.
2: Yeah, uh, Chris Chris had a charmed life, when you think about
0: it. Oh, my God, yeah.
2: I mean, he's still around, and he's doing fine. So...
0: Oh my God, he's bigger than ever in Miami Beach again. And for the people who who don't know who Chris is, Chris uh, has claimed to fame, he opened a lot of nightclubs for friends of ours and he was dating Madonna and he was like the the king of the hill for a long time. But then him and his brother, I don't know why that happened, because they were making tons of money, decided to rob a bank. (laughs) And when they got caught, he flipped on the mob.
2: Oh, so, wow. Like yeah. I said, he's a very lucky guy. He's still around. Right. He's still around. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm. All right. Next is from Leo. Leo says, Johnny, it's clear you've been a part of numerous films. However, what has been your favorite television show to have been a part of?
0: Oh, there was a few of them. I, I, I loved doing, uh, playing the part of Steelgrave Brothers. And uh, we talked about that, the Wise guy series. That was very good. And early on, I was doing, I did, I don't know how many, um, and, and he, he was a good friend of mine. It turned out to be later on. But uh, I was doing all the Rockford Files for years. And then when I wanted to learn how to golf, he took me on golf tours with him to show me how to play golf. James but, what's that? James Garner. Yeah, great guy, great guy. But I've done so many things. Again, it's hard, hard to say which is best. My Different experiences were all great. I like playing yeah, a woman course. in a Tom Selleck produced movie. And uh, James Colburn and I opened, we were stars of that. He played a priest and I played a woman. And we had the same target to hit. And we went to a wedding well, you got to watch it. It's a funny movie. Good movie.
3: I've seen that. I've seen that clip. It's your characters in drag. Right. And you get thrown through the window, or somebody right. gets thrown yeah, yeah, through yeah. the window.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
3: it's I saw that scene on, on YouTube. Everybody could probably look it up. Yeah. Let's, All right. Next is from. Oh, sorry. No, no. Please. All right. Perfect. Moving next on. is from Frankie. Frankie says Did Gianni ever hang out in Connecticut, and were there known mobsters in Connecticut?
0: I don't know. Of course there's no mobsters in Connecticut. (laughs) No, I I did hang out in Connecticut, but not with any mobsters. I hung out in casinos and people's homes.
3: All right, next is from Sebastian. Sebastian says, did Johnny Roselli kill Sam Giancana?
0: Johnny Roselli? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: No. No, it it was a very close friend of his. And Johnny Rosselli did not kill him, no.
2: Yeah, it, it was a close friend to him. Right. right. That's, that's how he got into the house.
0: That's how he got into the basement. He used to be there every Saturday having lunch with him. But his loyalty was more to Ocado than to Giancana. <laughs> well,
2: he's a puppy. Right. Got it.
3: All right, next is from Daniel. Daniel says, what are Gianni's thoughts on Barry Levinson's upcoming film on the making of The Godfather?
0: Well, I'm hearing all kinds of mixed stories about it. And uh, uh, Pat and I have discussed it at length. Um, Mark Shield, who's one of the head writers of Vanity Fair, are interviewing Pat and I right now because we're all getting and hearing the same rumors. They're gonna do the making of The Godfather and try to leave out the connection of the Columbo family and how, how really locked in they were. But it remains to be seen. But uh, I love Barry Levinson as a director. I mean, I, I almost did Midnight Run until they changed the character. And then uh, my friend Dennis Farina got the part. But it it's a no, Barry's a great director. That whole that crew that's doing it, very talented. And uh, Al Ruddy is going to be heading it. So we'll see what happens.
3: Yeah, we'll see. Next is from Stephen. Stephen says, what did Gianni mean when he said he ruins New York like Spolatro ruined Las Vegas on Vlad TV?
0: Well, I mean, he, got, he forgot that they were in a secret organization. Both of these guys grandstanding that they when they were doing what they were doing in the streets and then getting witnesses killed and getting acquitted in trials, that was only going to last for so long. And I'm, I'm shocked that John thought he was going to just keep running as the Teflon Don, as his nickname was. It, it'll, it has to catch up with you. That's why the old-time guys we, we really respect yet, as I do, you know, Carlo Gambino, Frank Costello, they were behind the scenes. It's these young kids that come out of the woodwork and want to grandstand that they'll meet their demise very early. And they did, fortunately, unfortunately.
3: All right, last one for tonight is from Ron. Ron says, what is the first thing Gianni would say to Jesus?
0: I would thank him for everything he's given me. And I talk to Jesus every day, so... I know what I'm gonna say to him because I've been saying it all along. And as my close friends, Megan being one of them, I have a tribute to Jesus Christ on a cross life-size that I painted many years ago during Lent. It took me 40 days. And uh, my belief in God is, he's with me every day. So I'm not gonna meet him for the first time. I've met him so many times. Good, Good question.
3: Good answer. All right, boys. That's it for tonight.
0: Bideep, bideep, bideep. That's all, folks. <laughs> Thank you all. Keep the cards and letters coming. We love you, and stay safe. God bless. You. Good night. Good night, Pat. Good night, guys. Good night, Megan. Good night,
3: Johnny. Good oh, night, night Pat. Fun. Sinatra music.
0: I wish you go to your room and find one of these. A stranger in your nighting. Strangers in the night, exchanging glances, wondering in the night, what were the chances we'd be sharing love
4: before the night was Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Piccarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.
2: i take dancing lessons next.
0: Love was just a glance away oh, All on embracing dance away Ever since that night we've been together lovers at first sight in love forever it turned out so right For strangers in the night scooby dooby doo la da da dee da la da 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 la la-da-da-da-dee, la da da la la-da-da-da-dee, da la da da la 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 da da la da strange.